Amen. You may have your seat. Thank you, worship team, for leading. Yeah, amen. Leading us to the throne of, of God. Uh, we're about to take up our offering. Uh, there are offering boxes in the back, and uh, you can always give online or, or through our church app. I'm going to pray for our offering. I want to remind us before we take up our offering that uh, all, all of our giving comes because of what God has done for us, given to us. His generosity towards us uh, compels us to be generous uh, back uh, for his purposes and his kingdom work in this world. We always pray for our church of the week. Uh, this week we're going to pray for Orange Grove Missionary Baptist Church and Reverend, Reverend uh, Herbert Dickerson. Uh, but uh, before I pray, uh, I'm going to uh, say something uh, if you've been a part of our church, you would know normally Timothy or whoever's leading the liturgy would normally be doing this portion. Uh, but I wanted to uh, address you this morning and speak about uh, just briefly what was one of the saddest and most uh, tragic days in our country that I've witnessed uh, this past Wednesday, uh, January 6th, and uh, thousands of people gathered in, in D.C., which thankfully there is a right to do in our country that we are free to do. But the tragedy and the sorrow for me uh, came as I, as I watched and witnessed a, a mostly white crowd raising political banners alongside white supremacy banners, alongside Jesus banners, uh, rioting in the name of a nationalistic vision fueled in large part by white supremacy, baptized by a very wrong understanding of Jesus and his kingdom. And that was, it was, it was really sad and tragic. Uh, for me to, to witness that. And it is the case when we've seen, uh, just looking at the history of our world, when religion is used or Christianity, uh, chief among them has been used as a weapon uh, for personal political gain. And I don't think, it, we don't have to look back very long in our country uh, to see crosses burning alongside lynching trees. Uh, and prayerfully, uh, that causes us to, to shudder and, and to weep. And, and Wednesday, I saw uh, two, two pictures side by side from what was going on of a cross being raised and then a noose hanging on a wooden beam. And I'm not, this isn't a, I'm not making political statements here. I'm, I'm making uh, a statement on what I believe deeply to be a very wrong depiction of the Christ of our Bible and of genuine Christianity. Uh, Wednesday was also the first day of Epiphany, which is the season of the Christian calendar that celebrates King Jesus being the ruler of nations, the light unto the world. And uh, I think Epiphany 2021 is a great time for all of us as Christians to celebrate that the kingdom of God subverts all political, all racial, and all national ideologies. It's a season to celebrate that all of the darkness that lives within each of our hearts and within our world is ultimately conquered by Jesus, who identified with the oppressed, who was poor in spirit, meek, gentle, merciful, who was hung upon a tree. In the words of Gwendolyn Brooks, the loveliest lynchee was the Lord. So praise God that King Jesus and his kingdom breaks down dividing walls, unites across ethnic lines, and brings, he brings a kingdom of peace and justice and beauty and love. And so I'm going to pray for our country. I'm going to pray for our church. 
going to pray for the church universal that we would be loyal to Jesus and his kingdom, that all of us would repent of our own idolatries because each of us have many, and that God would lead us to embrace the way of Jesus and his kingdom. So if you will, pray with me. Lord, uh, we long for peace and justice and mercy to go as far as the curse is found. Lord, we are very clearly divided politically as a country, and that's one thing. I'm, I, I am talking about, uh, Lord, uh, that which does not depict Christ and his kingdom. Uh, hatred around race, ethnicity, uh, a, a using of Christianity to further our own causes, Lord, We all can do that. All of us can do it. And so, Lord, we repent of our idolatries. We repent uh, of all of our ideologies. And we pray that you, King Jesus, and your kingdom would subvert all these things so that we see a vision of a king and of a kingdom that's so much better than anything we could imagine. We pray that you bring healing and peace upon our country, upon our world. We, We pray not because... We think we're special as a church, but because we want to depend on you, Jesus, and we trust in you, Holy Spirit, to make us agents of reconciliation, agents of of love and peace in this world, would you use us to break down walls and to, to build together one body, one body that reflects the kingdom that is coming. We pray for Orange Grove Missionary Baptist, a church that's been faithful for so long. Bless Reverend Herbert Dickerson and, and the work of the gospel there. Lord, we we trust you, we we look to you, we depend on you, and uh, we pray that you would bless uh, us and all the churches in this city. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you for letting me uh, speak into that, and uh, I am glad that you're joining us today if you're newer to our church. Uh, I hope that you can connect more deeply into the life of our church if you would so desire. We realize in a virtual a mostly virtual world. People are connecting by screen. We would love to connect uh, and move from the screen to person to person. Please let us know you're here. Email us. We would love to follow up with you. This morning, uh, we're going to begin a three-week sermon series uh, on our Become initiative, which uh, Become uh, might be new to you. But So we're going to take these three weeks, today and the next two, to refresh many of you introduce many of you and align all of us to the vision we believe God has called us to here at Christ Central Church. And so I'm going to give you just a little bit of a heads up. This morning's a little different. Uh, My sermon will be shorter because I'm about to spend a decent amount of time uh, sharing around the Become Initiative. We're not going to spend this much time every week discussing the details of Become, but this being our first week I felt the need to frame and reframe uh, the whole initiative. So Become, it's a two-year initiative that began one year ago. We named it Become for a number of reasons. First and foremost, we believe that our prayerful vision is something that God must do in and to and through us. God is the builder of his church and his kingdom, not us. Secondly, today marks the seventh anniversary of of Christ Central Church. A seven year, yeah, we're seven year old church as of today. uh, And we pray that we grow up 
We're no longer in this infancy stage. We, we've got to grow up and become an established church that's seeking God's glory and the good of our city. And in this Become Initiative, we believe uh, that we want to invest in four things uh, that have always been a part of our church, but we're, we just feel the need to double down on them as we look to the next five years as a church. And these four things Mercy and justice. We believe mercy and justice lies at the heart of the gospel, therefore should lie at the heart of our church. The second thing is church planting. We believe there's no better way to reach people with the gospel nor equip people in the gospel than by starting new churches. The third thing is leadership development. We believe that the church needs more leaders, particularly we want to invest in seeing minority leaders raised up here at Christ Central. And then lastly, uh, it's a long-term home. We believe that we need a permanent home uh, to worship God and serve God from the heart of our city. And so those are the four things. And when we started this over a year ago, uh, we asked everyone to consider participating in this. Our desire and prayer really was 100% participation. Because we believe that this initiative is it's not just about what Christ Central Church can accomplish. It really, we believe, it, it's a discipleship invitation. Uh, for you to consider, will you join in on the mission of God, viewing your whole life as surrendered to him and to his kingdom? And, and so we're asking everybody to consider participating by either praying or by serving or by giving financially or by doing two of those or by doing all three of them. And we realize that everybody is at different places in their lives. Everybody has different gifts and abilities. And so our invitation is just to consider participating in some way as we seek God's glory and the good of our city. And so I just want to update you uh, briefly on where we are one year in to this Become Initiative and why I'm so encouraged one year in. Uh, the first thing is that we had over 150 individuals and families say we're going to commit to being a part of this, which is at, at least 300 individuals, if not 400, who said we're, we're investing in this. Uh, and I wish I had time to tell stories of people uh, who've made uh, significant steps of faith to be a part of this. Uh, another thing is, according to our accounting, at the end of November, uh, about 40% of our financial goal had already been given. Two million of the $5 million has been given, and that's not uh, considering what was given in December. And then because of the generosity of our church, because of your generosity, we've made significant steps out of, in three of the four aspects of Become. This is a five-year kind of vision, and we're already making significant steps in three of them. Let me share with you. Mercy and justice. Uh, we set aside 25% of our money for mercy and justice. As soon as the coronavirus hit, we reframed our priorities with Become. Mercy and justice rose to the top. And we set aside $100,000 to meet the needs of our congregation and the needs of our city. On top of that, we gave $25,000 to uh, the Durham Public School Foundation uh, and $25,000 to the YMCA Scholastic Centers to help uh, engage the educational gaps caused by this pandemic. Church planting, we set aside 20% of our money for that. And God quickly led Christ Central to Didi Wong and his family. And God led Didi, Amber, and their three sons to Christ Central and Durham. They've been here for four months. And Didi's been praying and seeking the Lord, learning about Christ Central and researching what a church, a new church in South Durham would look like. And we're excited to launch a new church in the fall of 2021 in South Durham. 
Minority leadership development. We, we set aside 20% of our money for this. This is the one area we've not made significant steps in yet, but we've been talking and discussing and praying about what it would look like to offer a number of internship programs that would help us raise up leaders. And then lastly, long-term home, we, we set aside 35% of our money for this, and God blew us away when he provided this church building that we, we are in here inside or if you're outside uh, we will have 24-7 access to offices, classrooms, youth space, 600-person, beautiful sanctuary, partnered with an unbelievable school in Durham Nativity. Uh, if you're not, uh, if you're outside or if nobody, if you haven't been back here, uh, we are ma- doing major renovations uh, for our offices and our classrooms. We're upfitting the sanctuary with audio and visual. All of this we're hoping will be completed by Easter And on top of that, we locked all of this in with a 15-year lease at a rate that is saving us a lot of money compared to what we were spending or we would have spent. Let me put this really plainly financially. We will recoup over half the money we spend on renovations in five years of being here, and we will spend $120,000 less per year than we were spending on all of our facilities. All of this in one year, in a pandemic. This is the Lord's doing and his doing alone, right? Amen. He's the one who's building his church. We're one year in, one year to go with this, and uh, we will be laboring for his kingdom until Christ returns and and pray that we're faithful unto that end. And so let me invite you, if you've committed and are a part of this, to remain committed until uh, we finish. To those of you who've not been, maybe you're newer to our church, we'd love to invite you to step in and and pray about being a part of this. We've got many materials around Become that you can look at that are here in person or you can go online to our homepage and hit the Become tab and see all of that that's happening. So as a way of aligning all of us uh, around our church's mission, which is seeking spiritual, social, cultural renewal, Over the next three weeks, we're going to preach, we've titled this series Become, but we're going to preach one sermon out of Ezra to address spiritual renewal. We're going to preach one sermon next week out of Nehemiah to address social renewal. And then we're going to preach, Timothy will preach one sermon on Esther to address cultural renewal. So maybe you're asking, uh, isn't this an odd time (laughs) to do this type of a sermon series? in the midst of a global pandemic and in a time of major political unrest. I said this earlier, but Wednesday was the start of Epiphany, according to the church calendar, the season of celebrating the mission of Jesus to the nations. It is a time for us to contemplate the kingdom of God and the gospel going to the whole world. And so I'm not sure there's a better time than this for us to lift up our eyes and to lift our hearts to the hope that we have in Christ and in his coming kingdom. I believe all of us need our hearts aroused to the coming kingdom. Because I think it feels a little bit like we've had to hit pause on a lot of things in our life. We've, we've lived in this past year with many losses and hardships. We have rightfully been safe and cautious. But I think we've got to be reminded and we cannot forget that the kingdom of God isn't contingent upon a vaccine that God being at work in this world isn't on pause until we can all get back to normal. The kingdom of God is moving 
And so I think we need a fresh vision and God to arouse our hearts that he is at work in the midst of the dark seasons. And so we're going to look at Ezra chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 this morning. And before I read it, I want to just try to give you quick context uh, of where we are here in the, the Old Testament in our Bibles. Ezra and Nehemiah is actually written as one book. Ezra and Nehemiah are two books in your Bibles, but originally it was written as one. So we'll, we'll, I'll be saying this week and next week, Ezra and Nehemiah. It was written roughly around 500 B.C. So to give you a, a very rough round number timeline of history, our Old Testament history, Moses and the Exodus occurred around 1400 B.C. King David and King Solomon was around 1000 B.C. Ezra and Nehemiah was written roughly 500 B.C., right? Very round numbers. Uh, and I'm not trying to overwhelm you with dates, but I would venture to say that this is a section of our Bibles that not many of us are super familiar with. I've never preached out of Ezra, Nehemiah, or Esther, uh, and so I'm trying to give context. And so let me give you one more important date, and that date is 588 to 586 B.C. Because it was at this time that Babylon, the great pagan empire, not just invaded Jerusalem, but destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed the city. They destroyed the temple of God in Jerusalem, which was unthinkable. But God had warned Israel, he had warned the people of God that if they continued to worship false gods, if they continued to forget their God, the discipline of captivity would come. So the Babylonians take many of the Jews, not all of them, some Jews remained in Jerusalem, but took many Jews into captivity. And so perhaps some of you have heard of this as the Babylonian captivity. And in this discipline, there was still a promise for God to the Israelites. God promised, I will bring you back to Jerusalem. So 50 years of being in Babylonian captivity, the Persian Empire then takes over the Babylonians. And Israel is now under Persian captivity. And that's where Ezra begins in Ezra chapter 1. And in Ezra chapter 1, Cyrus, the king of Persia, the pagan king of Persia, has his heart stirred by God, which is how Ezra 1 begins. And that's a sermon all in of itself. The pagan king of Persia had his heart stirred by God to then issue the decree to release Israel from captivity and let them return to Jerusalem. And Israel now has hope, hope of a new beginning Hope for a new Israel as they will seek to rebuild the temple and to rebuild the city. So that's where we pick up in Ezra chapter 3. If you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we give attention to God's word this morning. Ezra 3, verses 1 to 6 in your bulletin on the screen if you're outside. When the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Then arose Jeshua, the son of Josadak, with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, with his kinsmen. And they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands, and they offered burnt offerings on on it to the Lord burnt offerings morning and evening, and they kept the feast of booths. 
as it is written, and offer the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule as each day required. After that, the regular burnt offerings, the offerings at the new moon, and at all the appointed feasts of the Lord, and the offerings of everyone who made a freewill offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would now speak to us. We need to hear from you, Spirit of the living God. So I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing, that we would hear from you and you would, by your grace, speak and transform transform our very lives in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. In 1959, the legendary Vince Lombardi was hired by the Green Bay Packers football team. And his goal was to turn around a struggling franchise. And what is now a legendary story, which says that after a very bad beating on the football field, the Green Bay Packers gathered in the locker room in silence, waiting for Lombardi to enter and give them a verbal beating. So after a few moments, Lombardi entered the room with a football in his hands and he stood in silence, the players waiting for the worst. Lombardi lifted up the football, broke the silence with what is now probably the most legendary quote in the history of the NFL, gentlemen, this is a football. And then begins to explain the boundary lines of the field and what it means to have a goal line and how you put this ball across the goal line to score a touchdown. In those five words, gentlemen, this is a football Lombardi was saying, we must never leave the foundations of the game. We must always keep first things first. Israel returned to Jerusalem. Their temple and their city is in rubble. Many of their personal properties plundered. And what we see in our passage is not Israel grabbing a hammer. It's not Israel going to their properties and taking care of themselves. They don't immediately start rebuilding the temple and the walls of the city. Israel, with hope, worships God. Israel keeps first things first. Before they do anything, the first thing they do is worship God. Seriously, try to imagine coming back from exile. You've been held captive for years, 50, 70 years, and you're ready to rebuild. You're ready to get to work on the new Israel. The first thing they do is worship. Dallas Willard was a philosopher, a great teacher around the subject of spiritual formation. And Dallas Willard was asked by a man named Gordon Cosby one day over lunch, why do churches and ministries so often lose their founding vision? to the point of the resulting institution years later is quite unlike the original dream. What happens along the way? And Dallas Willard responded, the inward fire of vision for God is lost for the outward impact of mission and ministry. 
Let me repeat that. The inward fire of vision for God is lost by a focus of outward impact on mission and ministry. God has been gracious to us, Christ Central, in, in us and through us over the past seven years. We have grown in ways that I don't think we ever thought would happen this quickly. Uh, and, and we are praying, as I began, that God would bless this become initiative. But if we do not keep first things first, if we do not keep the worship of God and delighting in God, which is one of our core values, if we are not focused on having God's grace transform our lives, which is how we define spiritual renewal, if we don't keep first things first, we will become a church that is led astray rather than a church God is calling us to be. So let's look at how Israel teaches us to keep first things first. How do they teach us how to have hearts of worship? We're going to look at two things, an altar and a feast. An altar and a feast. Let's look first at an altar. Look at verse 1 with me. It says, In the seventh month, the children of Israel were in the towns. The people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. After all the years of exile, the Jews who had stayed in Jerusalem and the Jews who were taken captive are all back together again in Jerusalem. And they gather as one man, unified together with hope in a God who's going to restore them. Verse 6 tells us the foundation of the temple is not even laid. The author's being really clear that the very first thing they do is build an altar so that they can offer burnt offerings as worship. And you can read all about burnt offerings in the Old Testament book of Leviticus. But let me tell you what Israel would do with a burnt offering. They would take one of their very best animals, a bull, a sheep, a goat, and it had to be a male without defect. So taking their very best. And then they would lead their prized possession by a rope bringing it to the entrance of the tabernacle or to the temple. And then they would place their hand on the head of their animal as a way of identifying with this animal. And then they would cut the throat and sacrifice the bull, the goat, or the sheep. If you can imagine having to, to do that, taking your very prized possession and sacrificing it. And then you would hand it over to the priest who would place it on the altar and it would be offered as a burnt offering. The entire animal, nothing left, would be burned as a sacrifice. And this was a way of conveying the need for substitution. That someone or something had to pay for the sins of Israel. And the burnt offering was God's way to communicate forgiveness to his people. So the bull or the sheep or the goat had the power to forgive. God forgives. But the sacrifice, the substitute, it was a clear visual reminder to Israel someone had to pay for their sins. Thankfully today, we're not lining up with our animals outside of the sanctuary. But we do have a sacrifice who identifies with us. We do have one who took our place so that we could be forgiven. Hebrews tells us that it's Jesus Christ, the once and for all final sacrifice, the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So how will our hearts burn with a vision for God? 
By rejoicing in this reality, Jesus Christ crucified, slaughtered, Jesus Christ in your place, your substitute, so that you can be forgiven. He was everything we are not. In our pride, Jesus laid down his life in humility. In our anger, Jesus did not open his mouth, but like a lamb led to the slaughter, laid down his life. In our lust, Jesus always dignified humanity. In our greed, Jesus left the riches of heaven to become poor. Jesus is our great substitute. This leads us to worship. Now, here's a question. When was the altar burning? If you picked up on it in our text. When was it burning? Verse 3, morning and evening. It was burning. Leviticus tells us that the burnt offering was all day, 24 hours, seven days a week, smoke rising from the altar. Why do you think that's the case? If you've ever been to an emergency room or a hospital between 1 a.m. and 3 a.m. in the morning, there are a lot of you in our church that are in the medical profession, so you've worked during that time frame. Others of us have been in the hospital receiving medical care during that time frame. But 1.30 in the morning, 2.30 in the morning, the lights are fully on. There's all kinds of noise, beeping, sounds, people coming and going. When most of the world is sleeping at 1.30 in the morning, the emergency room and the hospital are still operating. It never stops. It's always open because there is always need. So hear me, the burnt offering was to be 24-7 to remind Israel that they are always in need of God's grace and mercy to forgive. That our need for God's grace is 24-7. We need it when we feel bad and we need it when we feel good. For a long time, and honestly, there's still at times, I can fall into what one of my old pastors calls treadmill Christianity. Many of you maybe have experienced treadmill Christianity. Right? You, you feel really good about yourself when you know, you've read the Bible, you've had your quiet time, but you really feel your need for God and his grace when you haven't read your Bibles in a long time. You feel good about yourself when you come to worship on Sunday or when you tithe and, and you give, but if you miss worship or you haven't been generous, you really feel your need for God because you kind of feel bad about yourself. That is treadmill Christianity, and it's exhausting. It will lead to burnout. The inward fire of vision for God, it's snuffed out by a view that you are only in need of God's grace when you're bad. Because the truth of the gospel is that you and I need Jesus all the time. When we think we're good and when we feel like we're bad, and the promise of the gospel is that in Jesus, we always have his grace. And when we rejoice in this reality, our lives will be changed and we'll worship. That's, that's a, an altar. Let's look secondly at a feast. Look at verse 4. It says, and they kept the Feast of Booths, also known as the Feast of Tabernacles. Feast of Booths. And this feast was a once-a-year festival that God gave to Israel to remember how God had brought them out of the wilderness after 40 years. So they were to remember that in the wilderness, 
They should have run out of food. They should have run out of water. That their clothing and their sandals should have worn out. They should not have survived, but God was with them. God saved them. God provided for them. So every year they would take seven days to celebrate and to remember God's faithfulness in the wilderness. And they were to take two of those seven days and cease from work and rest. If you think about it, it's a little ironic that the very first thing Israel does coming out of exile is observe the Feast of Booths. Close to 70 years of exile, temple ruined, city walls destroyed. They don't get to work immediately. They don't start rebuilding the temple. I, don't, I, I can imagine being an Israelite returning to Jerusalem and seeing all that needs to get done. I mean, we got to rebuild the temple. we got to rebuild the city walls. And if you're anything like me, if there's a big pile of work staring at you, it's hard to rest. Right? You want to knock it out first, and then you can rest. But Israel rests first before they ever get to work. So the first thing Israel does is they remember and they rest. They remembered that when they could not save themselves, God saved them. When they could not provide for themselves, God provided for them. And they rested. They ceased from toil and labor. And in doing that, they were entrusting their lives into the hands of God, who is always at work, always building and rebuilding. The gospel of Christianity is good news to us about what Jesus Christ has done. It's not good news about all that you and I need to do. It's about what he has done. The Father sent the Son to save us when we could not save ourselves. Jesus lived the perfect life of obedience when we could not obey. Jesus was crucified on a cross when we deserved wrath. Jesus rose from the dead when death would have held all of us under. And the Spirit of God applies all of this to our lives, even when we struggle to believe it. Because God is faithful and he is at work. So before we do anything as a church, the first thing that we must always come back to is remembering and resting. Remember, daily remember. In prayer and scripture, let God remind us of his faithfulness. And, and rest, cease from toil and labor, labor and striving in our own power. Take a, a deep breath and exhale. Go for a walk, take a nap. You know, a real quick application to remember and rest is to practice the Sabbath. Take one day out of seven to really remember and rest and to entrust your life into the hands of our God, a God who's promised to never slumber nor sleep. By the way, what we're doing right now is ceasing and resting. Right now we're worshiping when every one of us could be working, right? I'm sure we all have things we could be doing. But I think deep down we all know remembering God's faithfulness and entrusting our lives into his hands is what we need the most. Remembering and resting in the sheer grace of God offered to us in our need 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and this grace that is promised to us in Jesus will always lead us to worship. I know myself, and even as I kind of started with the Become Initiative, can feel it in me, but uh, I know we're a bunch of doers in our church. We have a lot of people that like to get stuff done. 
We get excited. I can get excited thinking about the ways we can bless our city through mercy and justice, through starting new churches, through raising up minority leadership, through having a long-term home. But before we start thinking about all that we want to do, we must keep first things first, Christ Central. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would help us to behold the beauty and grandeur of you, Jesus, your grace and mercy and love poured out for us, offered to us in our need, which is 24-7. And thank you that because of what Christ has accomplished, we have your grace. So help us to trust that, to know that we are forgiven. Help us to see Christ and, and to worship. May you be so faithful, God, to never allow an inward fire, inward fire, a vision for God to be snuffed out. I do pray a hundred years from now that we would be in the heart of this city, worshiping you, delighting in you, and serving you for the good of this place. Help us to be faithful. And even when we are not, root us and establish us that you are faithful, even when we're faithless. For you cannot deny yourself. We are your people, identified in Christ. and You will remain faithful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.